Hey everybody, welcome back to our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you have been more than surviving your midterms and your exams that you've been going through. We've definitely been praying for you guys during this part of the semester as always. Hey, if you missed it last week, make sure you look through the archives here on the YouTube channel for Emily's teaching on prayer. Obviously, during crises and times like this, prayer is critically important, but it's really, really important for our relationship with God and others at all times. And so I just want to encourage you to do that. Go back and check out last week's teaching by Emily on prayer. In addition to that, if you're one of those that really likes to just download audio versions of teachings and books and things like that, uh, go to the website, xa-unc.com, click on podcasts, and not only will you find the Sermon on the Mount series that we're in the middle of, you'll be able to go back in the archives and find all kinds of series that we've already done, and I think they'll be a great blessing to you. So if you love podcasts, you like to be able to just download it and listen to, th- listen to the teachings while you do other things, the podcast is a great way to do that. Just go to the website at xa-unc.com. Well, tonight we're continuing our series on Sermon on the Mount, and if I could give you a one-word title for it is Treasures or Treasuring, if you like. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, in particular, verses 19 through 24. We're going to start with verses 19 through 21, and we'll add 24 in, and 22 and 23 and 24 in just, in just a moment. So Jesus is again teaching here. And, um, and as always, I want to encourage you to read the scope of the whole passage. Read chapter 5, read the whole of chapter 6, read the whole of chapter 7 as well to get the full context of what uh, Jesus is teaching and who He's teaching to during this time. But we're going to start with verses 19 through 21 of chapter 6 where we're going to stay tonight. And this is what He says. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now I want to give you, out of just those few verses real quick, I want to give you like three things I just want you to bank. Kind of put in your memory bank, maybe be the stools for what we're going to talk about next, and how you're going to apply what we're talking about tonight as well. The first thing is this as you read those verses is earthly treasure is temporary and fading. On the other hand, on the flip side, heavenly treasure is eternal and is secure. The second thing I want you to kind of just hold on to as a framework here is the issue is not really that treasures, earthly treasures are intrinsically bad. They're not. But neither are they really of any ultimate value at the same time. And so what you choose to put your focus on is highly important. And then the third thing is this. We're not really talking about treasures and and things we possess from the standpoint of you need to get more to do more kind of thing only. The secret's not more. It's being content with what you have, whether that's a lot, a little, or somewhere in between. So I just want you to take those three things, kind kind of file them away a little bit and keep them and bring them back up as we go through. Now, before we really get into the the text further, I want to kind of address a little bit of the elephant in the room when it comes to things like wealth and treasure and treasuring like we're talking about tonight. And that is, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus have to say about the rich in in particular? And and because if you've read the verse before, maybe you have, that says something along the lines of, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you couple that with, a lot of the animosity and resentment these days in the culture towards the top 1% of people that possess tremendous amounts of wealth, or top 10% even, of people in our country, you might be thinking that, well, Jesus really doesn't 
like rich people or Jesus doesn't want people to be rich, but I don't think that's the case. And one way we can pull in from another source for that is go to the New Testament for 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 and 19, where Paul is writing to Timothy in the early church and addressing this particular issue. And so this is what he says. He says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So these are kind of instructions for how to manage wealth. And if you have a lot of it, it still applies. If you have a little of it, it still applies. But in particular, Paul is writing to Timothy about the rich and his congregation and his care. So here's what I want you to take from that. The idea then is not to shame or say rich people can't inherit the kingdom. It's just more challenging because rich people in general tend to live for their things and for their possessions and more of them, which hinders your entrance into the kingdom as we're going to see in just a moment. But what it does say is do good, be generous, and share. If they do these things, they're going to store up treasure in heaven and live a life worth living. And that's a good, those are good principles for all of us regardless of where you fall on the spectrum of wealth and possessions. As college students, most of us when we were college students, it was true about myself when I was a college student, really didn't have very much in the way of wealth or possessions. In fact, owed money when we got done. So that might not resonate with you now, but it will in the future as you begin to earn and have opportunities. Another good way to look at this uh, in terms of what the Bible, what the early church, and I think Jesus is challenging us to live in regards to wealth and possessions, is uh, an old-fashioned word, if you will, that's called stewardship or being good stewards. Now, we don't use that terminology much anymore. You do hear it from time to time. But stewardship carries the idea of being put in charge of something that has been entrusted to us. Okay, We are to be good stewards of what we have and what we acquire. And so stewardship calls us in a, in a, lot of pra- in a practical sense to obedience in the way that we manage everything under our control everything entrusted to us. And in a relationship to God and walking out our faith in Jesus, it's the consecration of ourselves and our possessions to God's service. That's being a good steward. And so it means as stewards, we are managers of that which God has given us and we are under and we are choosing to submit those things in our lives as well under His authority as we walk out managing things that He gives us on this earth. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, when did that ever happen? When did I turn into a manager for God, if you will? Well, even if you go all the way back to the Genesis account, Jesus put Adam and Eve, He put mankind in charge of managing the earth and managing everything within it, which is one reason why Christians ought to be at the forefront of the environment and, and things like that, because God has put that charge towards us. Now, that doesn't come easy, right? This idea of being generous and sharing and being a good steward of what you have because we all want things, right? We all want more of things at times and we want to do fun things with our lives. We want to take big vacations and we want to have enough for retirement and we want to do a lot of things in life. And like all the other things, if you've been following this series closely, the thing that Jesus drives home over and over again is guarding your heart. And that's where the wrestling really comes in when it comes to possessions and what we treasure and things that we treasure. 
in this life. And so in verse 21, Jesus says this, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus drew the conclusion that you can only have your treasure and therefore your heart in one place. We can't store up treasures on earth and in heaven at the same time. Now let's pause there for a second. What in the world does it even mean to store up treasures in heaven? We kind of understand what it might mean to store up treasures on earth. You can think of things like money and bank accounts and, and cars and homes and all kinds of things. But what does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Well, for the sake of time tonight, I'm just going to condense it down to two really concise ways of putting it. What are treasures in heaven? Well, I think treasures in heaven are what heaven treasures. In other words, what God treasures. What is that? Well, I think primarily, and through the history of the world, it's you and me. It's people. God treasures His creation made in His image more than anything else that there is on the planet today. And then there's also um, a treasuring of the things that help people come back into a right relationship with God. Those are also things that are treasured in heaven. What are they? Well, forgiveness for one. If we treasure forgiveness with others, that will help. And treasure forgiveness of, of, between people and God will help bring people back to God and therefore store up the treasure in heaven of people being with God forever. Grace is another one. Truth. Justice, doing justice, treasuring doing justice, uh, being generous, as we've already mentioned, and loving. These are just some of the things that we should treasure because that results in the greatest treasure of all being in heaven, which is people, which is you and me, being in a right relationship with God forever. Now, Jesus goes on in verses 22 and 23 here, and he, as, as often, I think, what Jesus' teachings is, He gives you an image and then, then after he gives you the image from one side, he kind of rotates it and says, look at it from this way. And then he look at it from this way. And so we get an increasingly better understood picture of what he's referring to. So in verses 22 and 23, he puts it this way. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, the first thing is the picture he's giving you is pretty straightforward. It's the idea that light comes into the body through the eye, just from a physical, physiological standpoint. But if your eyes are blind, you would live in a very, very dark world. But he, he kind of drives it home and gives it a little bit more purpose here and focus by saying this, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And here, the idea behind having a good eye uh, when you get back into the original languages, is either being generous or being single-minded. That's the, the, the meanings that kind of go with that. Now, both of these principles apply very much to our attitudes toward material things, being generous and single-minded about being those things. And so the context here, or the idea, is being generous brings light to our lives. If you've practiced being generous, you know this to be true. We are happy, happier, we're more content when we have God's heart of generosity in the way that we live from day to day. Not just at Christmas and birthdays and those types of things when you're giving away gifts to someone, although that's the sense of the thing. But every day, whether you're sharing a home or a meal or, or finances or whatever the case may be with somebody. But if we're not generous, 
It's as if our whole body will be full of darkness because then it's driven by selfishness. Then it's driven by the appetite of I need more, I want more, and I'm constantly feeding myself on trying to acquire more things, more wealth and possessions. So in short, light is generous and darkness is selfishness. In any case, Jesus kind of puts it this way in, in the very most practical sense. Either your eye is directed at heavenly things and therefore full of light, or your eye is directed at earthly things and it's full of darkness. Now, in ancient uh, Jewish times, they also had a saying that someone would have an evil eye. Occasionally you hear that come up today, but it was very much more practiced in their context. And it carried with it this understanding or this, this, uh, this meaning. It's as if, if you said someone had an evil eye, they were an envious person. They were a covetous person or had that disposition. What does that mean? It means, for example, when their neighbor prospered or did well, they did not celebrate with that neighbor. They did not want their neighbor to prosper. They loved their own money and they would do nothing in the way of charity for God's sake. That's the kind of person that, that has a bad eye that's, that's not putting their eye towards heaven. Now, this constantly causes a wrestling match for us, especially in America where materialism has really risen to a level that it's probably never been. It's always been there, but I think people are, are seeking it out and living by it far too much. But for the Christ follower, this creates a little bit of a wrestling match within us. And in verse 24, he goes on to put it this way. Again, we're rotating the image of what he's talking about here. He says this, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, is what Jesus says here in verse 24, chapter 6. Now I want to pause here also again just to, to give you two definitions or two explanations real quick to put this into context. Um, you obviously, in this, in this verse, you have master and servant going on. First of all, this is not what we think of in, modern, in the modern age of slavery. When you think of some, uh, a nation or a group of people going into and, and oppressing and kidnapping and harming and, and keeping people in bondage for their entire lives when we think of slavery. In this particular context, it's more along the lines of someone serving somebody else for a period of time, largely and most often to pay a debt off. And so it was not a permanent status and it was not what we think of as a modern-day slavery situation. So when he's given this image of servant and master, it's the idea of you want to serve this person that you owe this debt to well, and maybe, who knows, that that person will let you out of the debt earlier that you actually owe. And then the other thing I want to give you here is a lot of translations that say, say you cannot serve God in money, say you cannot serve God in mammon. And mammon's a little bit broader than, than money, now, when you go back into the original languages on mammon, it could come from like a pagan god, but in the Hebrew, it generally is interpreted as trust or confide. And in this case, you could, you could put it into a little phrase and have trust in riches. So if you put that, inserted it back in, it would read, the back end of the verse would read like this. You cannot serve God and trust in riches. And that would probably be a better interpretation. But however you take the original meaning of that word mammon, it generally speaking means materialism and wealth personified. Now, according to France, the idea of mammon itself, it's, not, it's morally neutral, right? When you think of money and possessions and wealth, in and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with any of them, really. 
right? Even in the Jewish ancient text, when you get into the Old Testament, you have Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor God with your mammon. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your mammon. That's, there's other things in, in between there, but it's in that particular verse. So mammon represents material things we possess or want. And those things, as we see here, can be used both for good and for God's glory and bringing people into heaven with God, however we define heaven. Uh, but they can also become idols in our lives, too, if we make them out to be the thing, the most important thing, or at least the thing ahead of God and our faith in Him. And Jesus says we're not able to do that. That's the idea of serving two masters. When you're trying to put two people or two things first, you can't do it. It also speaks to loyalty, really. It's not really even so much in this verse 24 about, about wealth as it is about loyalty in relationship to God. Because as we read here, I think the proper understanding is this. Materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty to God. So as I mentioned earlier, there's no doubt here that Jesus is talking about the heart and the condition of our heart and the position of our heart and what we value in life here. You know, many, many of us say we love God, but the service of money sometimes shows us that we don't, the way we spend it and the way we desire it and hunger for it, as if we can never get enough at times. So how can we tell who or what we are serving? One way is remembering this principle. You will sacrifice for your God. So it might play out a little bit like this. If you will sacrifice for the sake of money, but not sacrifice for the sake of Jesus, then more than likely your money is your God. And I want to give us, as we wind this down, a note of caution as well. We've got to remember that you don't have to be rich to serve mammon. You don't have to be rich to serve money and material things. The poor can be just as greedy and just as covetous of things as the rich can be. So it's not just a rich person's problem, it's a human problem that all of us are vulnerable to. And so Jesus, once again, is saying, guard your heart. Don't try to serve two masters. Live generously in your life. How can I wrap this up for you tonight? Here's what I got for you. First thing, value eternal things, not temporary things. Value eternal things, not temporary things. Wealth is intended to be used with generosity and for the betterment of those around us. So there's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but use it wisely, use it well. It can be simply said, don't serve your money. Let your money serve the Lord, and it will serve you in return. Do not treasure for yourselves treasures on earth. Instead, treasure what God treasures. It's why we challenge each of you to give, go, pray, and welcome. Put your time, your giftings, your passions, your money, your prayers into the things that will store up treasures in heaven. And most importantly, people being with God, being made right with God forever. The bottom line is this. One treasure will go with you and one will not. I think you want to carry as many people to be with God forever, wherever that is instead of just how much can we accumulate for ourselves that we have to leave behind in some form or another. So I want to say uh, thank you guys for joining us this week. I think this is, again, a, a real direct practical challenge to us. Again, right now, some of you, this might not mean a lot to you. You're thinking, well, I'm just barely got anything to pay for food, pay for books and all that, and I'm going to be in that mode for a while. Yes, but there's going to come a time where you're going to earn quite a bit. 
You may not realize this, you know, as we talk about the 1% and the 10% in our country, if you look at the world and the economic status of people around the world, Americans, including you, including me, live in the top 1% of all people in the world when it comes to material possessions. So with that comes the responsibility to put God first and what God cares about most first, and not just first, but continually, so that we build up treasures in heaven, that we treasure what God treasures. So I want to just challenge you with that this week. Hey, go well. God's peace be on each of you.